Hello. Before we get started with the latest episode of the BSO podcast, we'd like to share with you a great way to make a tax-deductible donation to the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. Just text the word GIVE to 718-690-7037. That's 718-690-7037. Answer the messages that get sent back to you and enter your payment information. It's quick and easy, and we'll email you a receipt when you're done. Our goal is to raise $5,000 by the end of December, and we're so close. Your donations will help our community orchestra continue making music and bringing it to audiences in 2019. Thanks for your support, and happy holidays. Hi, and welcome to the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra podcast. I'm Felipe Tristan, and the clip of music you just heard was Carmen Suite Number no. 2 by George Bizet. Today, we're happy to have Nisham Baumik, violist and vice president of the BSO board. Later, we will talk to flutist Stacy Wallace. Welcome, Nishan. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, so let's start right on. Where are you from? Uh, I am originally from California, born and bred. So do you have a, a background in music since your early childhood, or when did you start in music? So I started music in elementary school, in public school, and I was a product of public music education, to which I am eternally wow. <laughs> thankful. I still have never had any private lessons as much as I wanted them. Yeah, we started uh, in, in our public school systems in Southern California. We started music in the fourth grade, I believe. And then you kind of picked an instrument in the fourth grade, and I picked violin then. And in the sixth grade, my teacher switched me to viola. I was the only violist. And... I am actually still playing on my sixth grade viola. Wow, that's fantastic. And so what was the change because they needed more violas or because you expressed an interest in the viola? Or how did that happen? I didn't know what a viola was. And so I, at that point, I was doing well uh, playing the violin. And my claim to fame is that I was the concert master in the sixth grade. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Because of that, my sixth grade teacher said, why don't you try playing the viola? Yeah. And she let me use her own personal viola that I uh, am still using now, which I am e eternally thankful for. Wow. So the same instrument. So you must have a lot of stories with that instrument, how many concerts you play with it, yeah. whatnot. Yeah, ever since the sixth grade. I think I owe a lot of my, my, my life to my, my sixth grade music teacher. Um, I was going through a really hard time in my family. My parents were getting a divorce. It was unclear if I could still pursue music. And um, my sixth grade music teacher, her name was Cynthia Greer, uh, was amazing and so supportive. She wouldn't let me give up music. And I, I owe that to her, really, to, for someone, a public school teacher, a public school music teacher who had faith in me and, I, and saw a student who loved music and wouldn't let that student give up. Wow. Well, shout out to uh, Miss Greer. Yeah. Thankfully, she pushed you to stay in, in music and 
that you're here with us today. Yeah, I'm so grateful for her. And so tell us, after being immersed in music since the fourth grade, what happened next? When when did you, how did you continue rather in music as, as you grew up? Yeah, I was in... Um, and in junior high, I joined the orchestra there. Um, I also played oboe for a minute. Oboe? <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't claim to be an oboist anymore. <laughs> uh, so I was I was heavily a music nerd in, in junior high and, and probably high school too. And then I continued in junior high and then I joined the or- When I got into high school, I continued the orchestra in high school and played in um, you know, all Southern, uh, which was the the honors orchestra in, in Southern California. So sounds to me like you were very much into music, but I'm curious, what happened? What influenced you to say, huh, I'm I'm interested in law. I want to be a lawyer. Yeah. So that probably didn't happen until later. I've, I've always loved music. Music's always been a hobby for me and it's always going to be a hobby for me. I don't know if I wanted to pursue it professionally full time. So when I went to college, I actually went to college to study science. I, I quickly found out, you know, I was mostly interested in political science. And so I, I majored in political science or international relations and then also uh, majored in Mandarin Chinese. And I thought that was really interesting. Well, and... <laughs> the more we scratch, the more we learn. What else are we going to discover? You're so humble. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Oh, keep keep telling us. Well, I I don't use my Chinese much anymore. I have to say, uh, so I've I've lost a lot of it. Uh, but uh, I figured out that was more of my calling. And then after college, uh, I worked. I interned uh, for a public defender, and I loved it. And then I did some more work in in corporate law. And it, within that corporate firm, I spent a lot of time doing pro bono work, which I absolutely loved and said I wanted to do that full time. And so then I, I became paralegal at the ACLU, uh, which I absolutely loved. And then that's when I decided that this is what I want to do full time and I want to be a lawyer. And so that's mm-hmm. what made me jump to to go to law school and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote my life to public interest law. And that's what I'm doing now. So it was a, it's more of a process. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. It, it, took, it took me a minute to get here. When How long ago was this point in, in your life that you said, okay, this is it. When I decided to be a lawyer, uh, I think that was, you know, after Proposition 8 in California, which was to strike down marriage equality, actually, which passed. And I became uh, heavily involved in law and politics at that point. And I was organizing and working a lot on trying to reinstitute marriage equality after Prop 8 passed. So I think that was more of a deciding factor. And that led me to kind of be involved in civil rights work full time. And that's when I realized that uh, that's what I wanted to dedicate my life to. What skills in music would you say help you in your career as a lawyer? That's a good question. Um, I'm going to bring up, I'm going to narrow that answer even more. I'm going to say what skills as a violist, oh, okay. <laughs> even, even more specifically, have helped me. So as a violist, especially, you have to pay very close attention to what your other colleagues are doing in the orchestra and how your voice fits in and, and how you can uplift other voices or how when when you stand out and when you shine. Um, and I think and the same can be said of any profession, really, but those skills of really listening to your peers and who's around you have been uh, extremely valuable in, in, in everything I do. 
So now, now tell us a little bit about your new role as vice president of the BSO. Yeah. So I, um, when I first moved to New York, actually, I joined uh, the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. What year was that? 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, three years ago is when I joined the board. 2015. Uh, I actually joined the symphony in 2012. Oh, okay. Um, so I, when I moved here for law school, I knew nothing really about New York. I had a couple friends here. Uh, I knew I was going to law school. I started law school in August. And then I think as soon as I moved here, or even before I moved here, I started Googling community orchestras in New York, and I knew that I wanted to play for the Brooklyn Symphony. Uh, and I joined one month later after moving here. The Brooklyn Symphony and, and music generally has just been so much of a space where I can decompress, and it's been invaluable to my mental health. And it's 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 truly been a space where I can come in once a week, forget about everything I'm doing in my in my life and all of the stress I have in my life, and sit down with a lot of people who also just love music, um, and just play and have fun. Right. I did that, and I, I valued it so much, you know, for the three years I was in law school. And then after I graduated law school, I said, hey, you know, the BSO has been such an important part of my life and has been such a, you know, a stability in my life for, and been a value for my mental health that I wanted to give back somehow. Um, and so I asked if I could be of service to the board. And that was, uh, I think, about three years ago. That's um, very noble of you. Uh -huh. That was a few years ago, and I have now... Vice President, Vice President. I, I'd love to keep on helping as much as I can. Okay, can you share with our audience what is going on in the orchestra these days? What should we expect? Yeah, so I think the most exciting thing is we have a, a concert coming up uh, on December 16th, Sunday, at 2 o'clock at our regular place at the beautiful Brooklyn Museum. Um, and we're going to play three pieces. Uh, they're all really exciting. Uh, one of them is... Uh, by Nathaniel Stuckey, it's called The Composer is Dead. And it's a really fun piece that um, Felipe, you will be conducting, I believe. That's right. And our uh, and our regular conductor, uh, Nick Armstrong, will be narrating. And it's, it's a wonderful piece where the narrator uh, tells a fun children's story and goes through this kind of uh, whodunit uh, mystery. And it's written for, for children, but it's also a lot of fun for adults and it takes it takes the listener through the audience and through the wide range of instruments. Um, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. And so we're looking forward to that. Um, and the other two pieces, we're playing uh, Piazzolla's Tanganzo, uh, which is this beautiful Argentinian piece. And then the last piece we're playing is uh, Malcolm Arnold's A Grand Grand Overture, which is also one of the most unique pieces. We're going to have three uh, vacuums or, th or th <laughs> three... Three industrial pieces. I think one of them is a floor cleaner, right? Yeah, and and <laughs> I think one particularity of the three pieces is that they're very colorful, colorful, and I would say even witty pieces because you know the the composer is that as you said, it's fun. It's kind of for children, but at the same time, the story is a little bit dark, uncanny. It's something definitely not to miss. Yeah. And so talking about hysterical and about fun, what about your favorite viola joke? My favorite viola joke? Uh, there's a lot of good ones. <laughs> okay, so give um, us one. So how can you tell if a viola is playing out of tune? Um, 
because they're in unison. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good guess. That hurts a little bit. <laughs> if you can see his bow moving. Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that's even worse. I was being nicer. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We live with that. <laughs> but thank you so much, Nishan, for being here today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and learn about all the different aspects of yourself and your fascinating life. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. And we are back now with a very special guest, Stacy Wallace. Welcome, Stacy. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. And you are a flute player in the orchestra. This is true. I also play the piccolo. And you do it very well. Thank I, you. I truly mean it. I'm a flute player myself, for those that didn't know. So let's start with, where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles. Ah, very nice. Our previous guest is also from California, Nishan Baumik. So you are from Los Angeles, and what's your background in, in music? How did you get started? Yeah, I actually started on the piano when I was pretty young. My mother believed that the piano is a really good instrument to start on when you're so young. You don't have to worry about intonation. It's generally pretty easy to start with the basics. And I was always promised that when I was in the fifth grade, I could play another instrument. Uh, the flute actually always had a really big appeal to me. But very interestingly, I was very small and short, so my hands are really small. <laughs> so I literally wasn't big enough to play the flute until I was about 10 years old. And so from an early age, you had an interest in the flute. How so? Where, where did you hear it? You know, to be honest, I'm not too sure. My piano teacher's daughter started the flute before I started it. I think the flute always has this had this magical, kind of mystical appeal to me. And I didn't really know too much about it other than I wanted to play it. Uh-huh. And so when it came time to choose another instrument, I would just was really drawn to the flute and was very excited to get my hands on a flute and to start playing it and trying it out for myself. And so did you join the band program at school or what happened? Yeah. When I was in middle school, uh, there were different bands and orchestras that I could play in. And as a child, I also really hated PE. I was not an athletic <laughs> child at all. So actually, in the eighth grade, I had the option to take marching band instead of PE. Uh-huh. And I was all over that. So I got to skip PE as an you eighth grader. You got the credit if you were in, in band? Yeah, exactly. And then what happened next? You went to school for music, continued playing, school for something else? Yeah, so throughout high school, I started to take the flute more and more seriously. Um, high school is also when I picked up the piccolo mm -hmm. uh, because I was playing in both band and orchestra. And especially in the band, the piccolo is really what you need to play in order to project over um, the very loud brass and percuss right. percussion sections. And also all throughout high school, I was um, competing quite frequently in a lot of local competitions, um, practicing for hours a day. Um, I actually spent a full summer at Interlochen Arts Camp in Michigan. Wow. Um, yeah, so throughout high school, the flute was really my thing. That was my big extracurricular, and that was really a lot of my identity was tied to the flute. You sound like a very competitive type. 
I, I wouldn't consider myself to be <laughs> competitive, but I do consider myself to be a pretty hard worker, and I like to do things well. So the flute was really something that I could really focus on and try to really refine and play well. And it was, to me, it was always very exciting to have a new piece and to learn and to master it. For me, I also like playing a lot of notes and I like playing fast things. Mm -hmm. So it was really fun to be able to pick up new pieces and gain that kind of technical mastery. Challenge accepted. Yes. <laughs> yes. As an assistant conductor, it's always fun to observe the musicians and and you know even learn from all of you even you don't learn from me but i'm still watching you and and you always seem very focused very in in the momentum of the rehearsal i think that's a very very nice skill to have thanks i mean i'm there in the orchestra because i really enjoy it and i'm i want to be there in the moment i think that can be tr said for anyone else who's actually in the orchestra because we're all there as volunteers this is no one's job. It's all we're all there because we because really of the love, love it. Because of the love of music. Yeah. True. And so years later, let's fast forward. You went to school for music and something else or something else only. What happened? So I actually went into college with the intention of minoring in music. But what I found is that I was taking so many music classes, including orchestra every single semester, including different theory classes, which I enjoyed that when I mapped out the rest of the requirements that would be needed to major in music, I found that it would actually be pretty easy for me to double major in music and business. Wow. So that ended up being my major a little bit by surprise because it wasn't my intention <laughs> at all. <laughs> you but, were already doing it without knowing you were doing it. That's, that's great. And, and so what happened next? So when I graduated, people loved to ask me, oh, so do you want to go into the music business? <laughs> and my response would always be something along the lines of, well, music was always the thing I did for fun, but I'm going to go into business. business. <laughs> so I ended up, the reason I moved to New York was that I ended up going to business school at Columbia. Uh -huh. And to make a long story short, to everyone's question about, do you want to work in the music business? I actually kind of do work in the music business now. What do you do? So I now work at Spotify as a product manager. So while I'm not necessarily directly working with music at Spotify, because I'm more on the business and ad side, for me it's very exciting to once again be a lot closer to music and to have music really be a much bigger part of my day-to-day -day because my day job is for a company that's all about music. Wow, it sounds like music was up to get you, whether you want it or not. Talking about music, how did it happen that you got involved with the BSO? I had to go through my calendar because I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> because um, because you it's hear a little bit our of a, podcast or why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it was a little bit of a, a winding path. So one of my good friends from college is Nick Rastigar, who mm -hmm. is our English oboist, um, oboist English, English horn player. And he knew that I had moved to New York and that I was interested in starting to play the flute again. And so in the summer of 2014... So you stopped playing the flute at some point? I So when I moved to New York for business school, I didn't even bring my flute out here. Um, <sighs> Get out <laughs> I here. Know. <laughs> All right, you can end this right now. <laughs> Just um, kidding. Oh, no, it was actually Nick who got me back into it a little bit. So we formed a quartet actually with 
other wind players in the symphony. So it was him, Kristen. Uh, so Nick was actually playing clarinet. Mm-hmm. Kristen was playing oboe. Kristen said of it? Yes. Yeah. Our principal oboe? Yep. Yeah. Um, Phil, who used to play bassoon with us. And we actually took a church hymnal and were busking in the Union Square subway station um, around the holidays. Nice. Um, so that was actually the reason why I brought my flute back to New York from California. Um, so the following summer, during the BSO summer readings, we were playing a piece that had probably a million different wind parts. So it was probably a Mahler or something <laughs> similar. And I played with BSO um, for a couple of the summer readings. One of the readings. But when I actually started rehearsing with the BSO was for the winter concert. And one of the flute players was sick. And so I was asked to sub in for flute and piccolo. Apparently, I played the piccolo part well enough to get asked back again to be a sub a little bit more permanently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I actually can't really tell you when I went from being a sub to a full-time member of VSO because it all kind of blends together. Is it in the past five or so years or longer than that? So this is my fourth season with VSO. And at some point during those four years, I went from being a sub to a full-time member of the roster. I just remember looking over one time at the other flute player and asking, should I be paying dues? And he (sighs) said, well, yeah, you're here (laughs) playing every concert, so probably. (laughs) Is there any particular um, or memorable performance you can think of with the BSO? Yeah. So every concert that I've played with the BSO has been in the Brooklyn Museum. So I know that in the past, BSO has played in various venues. There was one concert within the Brooklyn Museum where we actually played in the atrium instead of the oh, yeah, concert right. hall. That was a really, I think, a special concert because that atrium is so beautiful. You're surrounded by art. The piece was Belshazzar's Feast, and we were there with a by, live... Who's the composer? Uh, by Walton, uh-huh. William Walton. Mm-hmm. And we were there with a live choir, um, so a very big production. And I remember two things very distinctly about that concert. One was just the space. It was so beautiful, so grand. The ceilings are so high. The other is kind of a funny one where the sound, the acoustics in that place were so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Our sound was bouncing all over the place. It was impossible to hear each other. But that almost didn't matter because the settings and the surroundings were just so majestic. Well, probably with that piece and with the chorus, my kind of work, I, I would imagine, you know, all this, this magical element of the chorus. So recently, the orchestra played... Uh, in the previous concert by Ravel, one of his most representative and challenging pieces, the suite from Daphnis and Chloe. Mm -hmm. Tell us about it. It featured a lot of uh, the flute section, and in particular, a piccolo solo. Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing piece for winds. For those of you who don't know, there are actually four flute parts. Um, So I was playing piccolo during the piece you actually end up counting a lot of rests because the piccolo is a a very prominent instrument. So the piccolo plays at very specific and special moments. Uh, But that meant that I actually got to sit back and really enjoy the music a lot. And so the first and second flute parts are extremely, extremely challenging. And for me, it was a real treat just to sit next to the other flutes and hear them play. Enjoy the show. (laughs) Yeah. 
I love the piccolo part for Daphnis and Chloe as well, um, especially those that opening section where it's the daybreak happening, you have yes. the birds chirping, and there's a really just special and magical piccolo solo right at the beginning. So that was so much fun and a real a real treat for me to play that. So we've talked enough about flute, but what about if you had the option to say tomorrow by magic you'll be very good at this other instrument? What what would that be? So I have to preface this by saying one of my favorite parts about playing the flute and the piccolo is that they are very small and they are <laughs> very easy to carry around. Um, so there are very few instruments that actually fit the criteria of being smaller than the flute and the piccolo. So that eliminates a lot of my options there. But I am a huge sucker for the French horn when it's played really well. And so if I had the magical ability to be an amazing French horn player. player of any instrument, I would I would have to say the French horn. I agree. It has some fantastic elements. When when it's time for the French horn, you know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Stacy. It's been a real treat to have you today and and hearing your story. Well, thank you so much. Please visit brooklynsymphonyorchestra.org for more episodes of the podcast and to purchase tickets to our next concert on December 16th at the Brooklyn Museum. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Audio support by Plush NYC. I'm Felipe Tristan. Thank you for listening.